Well, good morning, Hillcrest family. Let's put our hands together and say thank you, Jesus, one to another this morning. It's a good thing to be in the house of the Lord today, and we welcome all of you here this morning, guests and church family alike here at the Nine Mile Campus. A special good morning to our Hillcrest folk over at the Spanish Trail location and to those of you that are worshiping with us all over the planet today via our nine mile or our online community. We're so thankful that everybody's able to be together and hear the word of the Lord. Y'all ready to get into the word this morning? We've had a wonderful time of worship and praise and worship continues. It's not first we do the worship and then we do the preaching. Preaching is worship. And so we worship the Lord when we proclaim his word and we worship the Lord by how we listen to his word which is why falling asleep during the sermon is a cardinal sin unto the Lord. And so set up straight and let's get engaged this morning as we find the book of Psalms today and the 32nd chapter, Psalm number 32 this morning as we continue in our theme on being covered. This has been D-Now weekend and uh, we've been blessed in music this morning. I don't know how those guys and gals even have a voice. They've been singing and praising the Lord for three straight days today and uh, culminating in today. And so we appreciate all the leadership uh, that we've had uh, together today. And I know our Spanish trail location has worshiped the Lord. I think Brian Davis has been over there as Jordan has been here today. Hillcrest is loaded with talent. Somebody say amen. And so we can just shift them around and Brad Woods can have the day off today. <laughs> Uh, which he does, and so we're very, very thankful. Uh, some of you know me very closely know that uh, I have a tendency to do boneheaded things, and the most boneheaded thing I think that I've ever done in my life was uh, several years ago when I had a little fender bender. Most everybody in here has a fender bender. Just because you have a fender bender doesn't mean you're bonehead. But when you have a fender bender, uh, in a borrowed BMW, you're a bonehead. I was in a borrowed car. BMW 3 Series. My car, it's a long story, and I wish I had time to tell you the whole story because it's hilarious. Seth and I were on our way to a football game at the University of Alabama. Van broke down. I had to leave it in Greensboro, Alabama. And it had to stay there for several days. Well, I had a friend in Tuscaloosa who came down to Greensboro, picked us up. They had an extra car, but she insisted I take the better of the two, which was a little BMW. And so that took them a while. I had to drive it back to Pensacola because my car wasn't going to be ready up in Greensboro, Alabama for several days. So I didn't argue with her, and I drove that BMW around. I thought, man, I'm a Baptist preacher now, man. I am driving. I'll never, I could never get away with this ever, but I can borrow one. And everybody in the world was asking me if I got a new car, and I had the story already put together. No, it's borrowed from a friend this week. Mine's broken down. It's got like 830,000 miles on it. <laughs> and uh, not paying attention one day, there was a talk show on the radio, and I didn't like what was being said. It was irritating me. And I couldn't find the seek button. All I did was take my eyes off of what I was doing for half a second. That's all it took. Not a major deal, but enough to ding it in. And I remember I didn't even want to make that phone call. I was just going to have the thing fixed. And so I called my insurance agent only to have her say the worst words imaginable at the time. Jim, 
You're not covered for that. And I learned a hard lesson. When you loan somebody the car, your insurance goes with the car. Their insurance doesn't go with the car. Yours does. And so keep that in mind the next time you're going to be generous and loan somebody that's a bonehead like me your car. But I found out the hard way. It was a very expensive proposition for me because I fixed that. I wanted to fix it without any uh, repercussion on my friend. But because I was exposed and didn't know it, it ended up being a very costly lesson. The question I want to raise today, when it comes to your spiritual life and when it comes to eternity, is are you properly covered? There's only one way to be sure, and that's to know beyond a doubt that God has forgiven you. Forgiveness is the only proper covering for someone who would know God and spend eternity with God. And this is why I have said before, and I say it again this morning, the greatest need of any human life is the need to be forgiven, and that's because sin is the prevailing issue in every human life. We need to be forgiven because of the prevailing presence of sin that we bring into this world. Sin keeps you from knowing God. Sin keeps you from having a relationship with God. Sin keeps you from living in the plan and purposes of God. And apart from forgiveness, your life and your forever future are totally exposed. And the potential cost of that exposure will be extreme, immeasurably expensive. So forgiveness is our greatest need, but the beautiful thing is forgiveness, I think, is the very first blessing of what it means to be saved. Get saved, instant forgiveness, bang, just that quick. It is the immediate blessing of becoming reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ because to be saved is by definition to be forgiven. And those who possess the gift of forgiveness, man, I'm telling you, when you know how sinful you are and you come to realize how holy God is and the reality that God should have absolutely nothing to do with you, that God should in fact judge you into an eternity separated from him, and when you realize that God loves you enough to make a way back to himself and he forgives your sin and welcomes you home, that ought to make you the most joyful person on the planet. That's where the enthusiasm comes from in walking with the Lord. It's a reality, first of all, that God has forgiven me. David says it like this. The thing I love about David, he was a flawed man. He was a great leader, but he was a flawed man. And he knew he was a sinner, but he also knew that God had forgiven him of his sin. And man, he rejoiced whenever he thought about all the stupid stuff that he'd done and how God had made a way back into himself. And you know that just by reading many of the Psalms that he wrote, including this one in Psalm 32. He begins with a very important word that Jesus made popular in the, in the Beatitudes, beginning in the Sermon on the Mount, and that is the word blessed, contented, inwardly sufficient, happy, as it were. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit 
there is no deceit. Now, this is the opening statement of what is among the most important psalms I think that David ever wrote. Uh, We love it because in one sense, he's writing about himself. And the most important thing, when it comes to having a right relationship with God, I think the most important thing that you have to understand is that you're a sinner. Because you can't get saved until you first admit how sinful you are. Isn't that right? That's why St. Augustine said the beginning of knowledge, real knowledge, is to know oneself a sinner. That's exactly right. You have to understand who God is as holy and who you are as a sinner. And once you understand that, the breach can be repaired, but only when you understand that you're first a sinner. And that's what has to be admitted before you can belong to God. And one thing about David is he knew himself to be a sinner. David had committed, of course, one of the most notorious sins in the Bible. Wasn't the only sin he ever committed, But it was certainly one of the most notorious ever recorded in Scripture when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And not only that, it became this one sin led to another because after he found out that she was pregnant and he knew he was the father because he couldn't get his friend and battle commander Uriah to go in and lie with her so as to try to cover it up so everybody could say, well, it was really his sin. He was home on leave. No, Uriah wouldn't do it. And because of that, David knew he was in a pickle. And rather than just coming clean, he orchestrates the battle plan. He manipulates it. He personally gets involved and has Uriah sent to the front line. There is a battle against the Ammonites. I have been there three times overlooking the city of Ammon, Jordan, where that wall still exists. And I have seen that wall where the front line of Israel charged and Uriah was probably there and he dies so David is guilty of adultery David is guilty of murder and you can read in Psalm 51 his great confession how desperate David is for his guilt to be removed and when it was he records in Psalm 32 what an incredible release that is I think Psalm 32 was written after Psalm 51 they're not in chronological order but once he realized he was forgiven, he's just, he got happy feet. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. It's one of the great statements of release and relief that you find anywhere in the Bible. Now, what I want to do this morning in the few minutes that we have is just to give you three important statements about sin and three important statements about what God does with our sin. Because the the concept of sin is mentioned three times here, and every time it's mentioned, David uses a different word. And then every time he mentions that different word about sin, he tells us something different that God does with our sin when we confess it and come to him with a right heart. The first thing I want you to notice is that my sin is carried away when I become right with God. Carried away. The language that David uses here about sin It's bound up, first of all, in the word transgression. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. The word transgression means lawlessness. It has to do with a rebellion. We rebel against what's right, and the end result is separation. Bound up in this concept of transgression, there is a separation. When somebody transgresses against the law of a community, they end up going on the run, right? There's a distance that they try to create 
between themselves and the law, so to speak. And rebellion results in a distance. You have that pictured a little bit in the great parable of the prodigal son who rebelled against his father, who rebelled against everything that was right and just and good. And the end result of his rebellion was separation. He went a long way from home. He was separated from the father because of his lawlessness. There's this literal distance between the lost son and his righteous father. And the great question that's hanging on the table concerning the lost son is whether or not he could return home. You read that story for the first time, that's one you're one. Are they going to get it back together? Can they get it back together? Is the breach too wide? Is the rebellion too deep, too consequential? And if he does go back, if the distance is shortened, can he possibly be forgiven and accepted back home? And you know, the Bible's very clear that like that prodigal son, every single one of us is a transgressor, separated from God the Father because of the condition of sin in our life. We need forgiveness. We need to be reconciled to God. Now, David mentions the word forgiveness here in conjunction with the transgression. Blessed is the way we transgress. Blessed is the man whose transgression is what? Forgiven. And that's an important word. It's all over the Bible. It's a word that means to take away or to send away or to remove. And again, the idea here is separation, but in a different sense. We need the sin of our lives to be separated from our lives so that the separation that exists between a sinful us and a righteous father can be brought back together again. But see, sin is the great separator. If the sin's not removed, if you're not separated from your sins and your sin's separated from you, you've got no hope to be reconciled to the Father. So the greatest need of our life is for somehow, some way, to have the very sin of our life that we can't remove ourselves somehow taken away so they no longer count against us, so there no longer stands a barrier between us and God. And the question is, how does that happen? Well, I think people realize that they're sinners and people look for all kind of ways to remove what's wrong with their life. People try religion. People try keeping rules, regulations, whatever the case might be. Someone gave me a container several years ago of body wash, which I thought was weird. Who comes up to their pastor and gives them body wash? What are you trying to tell me? <laughs> but it was kind of a joke. You know, you go into Walmart or Target, and, I, you know, there's infinite varieties of body wash, fragrances, sizes, for men, for women, unisex, whatever the case might be. This was the most unique container of body wash I've ever seen. It says, wash away your sins, body wash, <laughs> with a tempting scent. In the shower, cleansing power for liars, cheaters, and wrongdoers of all kinds. <laughs> Isn't that great? And then you look at those instructions on the back. Body wash with genuine frankincense and myrrh. Directions for use. Warm up your vocal cords, step into the shower, suds it up, sing for salvation, rinse away, and exit the shower, cleansed from sin, ready to go and do it again. <laughs> wash your sins away, body wash. I'll sell this to you for $1,000 today, guaranteed to work. 
Hey, don't you wish it were that easy? Here's the problem though. Your sins are not an external problem. Your sins are a heart problem. And that's why this stuff is no good. It might get you clean, but it won't get your heart clean. And that's why this is another long list of wrong ways to try to remove the sins of your life. I'm just trying to tell you, people try all kinds of ways to do it. You can't kiss the steps of the Scala Sancta 400 times. Keeping rules won't do it. Saying enough Hail Marys won't do it. I'm just telling you today, those are all wrong ways to get to God because it's a heart issue and you gotta get the sin washed off of your heart, which is something you and I can't do. So let me make a statement here. This is why Jesus died. Only Jesus can wash away and remove forever the sin of your heart. The only thing that's required of you and me is to just admit we're sinners who can't save ourselves and trust what God has done in his son on the cross to forgive us of our sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, God is what? Faithful and just and will what? Forgive us our sins, carry them away, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Only Jesus can do that. He admitted that early in his ministry when he made clear that he could forgive sins, that the Son of Man had authority to forgive sins. Got him in a lot of trouble, didn't it? You remember that story where Jesus is teaching in the house and the crowd is packed out in the house, spilling out of the doorway, and these friends come carrying, four friends come carrying their paralytic friend to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they can't get in the door because of the thickness of the crowd. So what do they do? They go up on the roof, start sawing a hole through the roof, and they carry their son, literally, or their friend to the roof, and then lower him down into the presence of the Lord. And watch what it says here in Mark 2. When Jesus saw their what? Their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are what? Forgiven, carried away. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 10, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to do what? Say it out loud. Forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. Man, notice a beautiful imagery here. Those friends carried their friend to Jesus. Jesus took the friend and carried his sins away. Somebody say amen. amen. And that's what the Bible says Jesus will do to anybody on a spiritual bed of affliction. That's every single one of us. He wants to say to us, rise, get up off the mat, find new life because I have the authority and I alone have the authority to take your sins away. Blessed is the man whose transgression are forgiven, whose sins are carried away. Okay, everybody with me? My sin is carried away in Christ. Secondly, we're taught here in the scripture, not only is my sin carried away, my sin is no longer counted. It doesn't count anymore. Have y'all ever played a game or whatever when you were kids and you got off to a bad start and whatever and then you start saying, oh, that didn't count, that didn't count. You know, when you're forgiven, that's what God said, doesn't count anymore. It's just like, let's just remove it away. Let's just erase it because it no longer 
counts against you. Look at verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Now, iniquity is the second word for sin. That's different from the word transgression. This is a word, transgression means rebellion or lawlessness. Iniquity means twisted or crooked. Everybody understands what I mean when I say that. In other words, that's applied to every person who ever walks the planet because of sin. Sin, nobody's a straight arrow. We're all bent. We're all twisted. We're all crooked. Last summer, I was mowing the grass, and I got distracted. Another boneheaded lock move, and I ran over an exposed tree root. And I mean, the noise was consequential. And it took that blade that was perfectly straight and turned it into the letter S. It was no longer a straight blade. It was a crooked blade. And because it was crooked, it wouldn't work. It couldn't fulfill its purpose. It was broken. And that's all of us. That's why we need to be forgiven because we're crooked. We're bent. We're warped out of shape. And we need to be forgiven. And man, when Jesus forgives you, he straightens you back up. No longer warped, no longer crooked. David reminds us that with the removal or the sending away of sin, the Lord no longer counts it against us. And this is another concept of forgiveness. The word count there is obviously an accounting term. It's a business term. Forgiveness, you know what forgiveness means? It's, it means that you and I are no longer in God's accounts payable column. God owes us death because of sin. But he removes us from the accounts payable status because Jesus paid it all. Amen. Jesus has satisfied the debt. From the very moment that I'm saved, God does a wonderful thing. He takes sin off of my books. He takes an eraser and he blots them out. And he takes my sin. It's like it's like. He debits my sin account, and he credits my sin to Jesus, where Christ takes them in his death on the cross. And then he does something in reverse. He debits Jesus' righteousness account and credits righteousness to my life so that he removes from my life the barrier that keeps me separated from God, namely sin, and he applies that to Jesus. And then he gives to me something I have to have to fellowship with God, which is righteousness. It's just a beautiful accounting double transaction that's all made available to Jesus Christ. And the end result's reconciliation. Paul says it this way in Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by what? Faith, we have what? Peace with who? We have peace with God because the books are now balanced. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through my religious ritual, not through any of that stuff, but through my faith in the person of Jesus Christ as the sinless son of God who died on the cross and bore my sins. The end result is this wonderful, forever peace 
and acceptance with God. Let me tell you, one of the great things, when God, this is one of the beautiful things about God. Y'all still with me, say amen. When God forgives those sins, he doesn't bring them up anymore. Remember the verse that says, as far as east is from the west. Man, east and west don't ever touch. Isn't that beautiful? How many of you have ever been on the outs with somebody? Maybe there were harsh words spoken in a relationship. And you thought, well, I'm just going to be big about this. This is no way to live. I'm going to go and I'm going to apologize. And So you go and you ask for forgiveness. And the other person looks at you and nods their head and says, yeah, yeah, it's all good. Don't worry about it. I forgive you. And you walk away from that. How many of you have ever had that happen? But when you walked away, you really weren't quite sure whether they actually forgave you or not. Y'all ever had that happen? You weren't quite sure. They were still a little distance. You know, this happens in marriages all the time. My wife never forgets anything. I mean, she doesn't forget anything. We'll be sitting driving down in the car, and somebody be telling a story, and I'll make a remark about somebody in the story. Well, that's a, who in their right mind would do something like that? And she'll look at me and say, well, you did in 1984. <laughs> I remember it was September 1984. Your mother was over in the house. She was sitting over in the chair in the corner, and your dad came in, and it's like, what? I have no recollection of that, Senator. They should have forget anything. And boy, if the opportunity is right, some of that stuff will get brought back into the mix. And things might get a little worse before they get better. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Aren't you thankful God doesn't mess around like that? He didn't bring stuff up again. East from west, separated forever. And their iniquity, I will remember no more. And he does. I mean, God's omniscient. He knows everything. But he doesn't remember in the sense that he, it's hanging over your head anymore like it was before it was unforgiven. There are no eternal repercussions anymore to all the boneheaded moves of your past and mine. And so salvation means that my sins are carried away, and thank God my sins are no longer counted because God removes them as far as east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. I'm telling you, don't we have a wonderful God that we can come together and worship and celebrate. But I'm not even finished yet. David just keeps going. And he gives us a third word for sin and a third concept to describe what God does with sin. My sins are carried away through faith in Jesus Christ. My sins are no longer counted because of what Jesus has done on the cross and my faith in him. Thirdly, David says my sin, our sins are covered over. Covered over. And this is a concept probably that's the most familiar to us because it's been such a part of our song history through the years. So many gospel songs and all of that have referred to how the blood of Christ covers us and our sins are washed away only by the blood of Jesus. And that's the language that David uses here going back, backing the train up a half of a verse to the last part of verse 1. Blessed is the one whose sin is what? Say it out loud. Covered. And again, this is a third word for sin. Transgression, he's used already. 
iniquity he is used. And then this word is just simply translated sin. This is the most common word that's used in the New Testament by the Greek writers. And this is a word <clears throat> that implies a shortcoming, a falling short. Some of you have heard the definition of sin being to miss the mark. And that's true. But the idea is to miss the mark by coming up short. It's like an archer aimed at a target only to fire his arrow and have it come up short. And it's a beautiful description because, see, when it comes to trying to attain the righteousness of God on our own, you and I are always going to come up, going to come up, we're going to come up short. We're going to come up short. This is why I get so tickled whenever people say to me, well, I don't know, I don't know that I need, I don't, listen, I don't, I'm not into religion, not into church. I just live my life by keeping the Ten Commandments. I live my life by keeping the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How's that working for you? The Sermon on the Mount. I just abide by the Sermon on the Mount. No, you don't. You don't keep the Ten Commandments. Nobody's ever kept the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are there to show us that we can't keep them. They reveal how broken we are apart from Christ. You try to live your life keeping the Ten Commandments. You know, Paul, Paul makes a confession in the New Testament. I tried this rodeo, and I was a Pharisee, Paul said. And I did pretty good at most of them. I did pretty good at most of them. At least in his mind, he did pretty good. You know, he honored, he didn't worship any other gods. He honored the Sabbath day religiously, he honored his father and his mother. He didn't steal. In his mind, he didn't commit murder. He may have had people put to death, but that was just death because they, in his mind, were worshiping other gods. And so he went down, didn't commit adultery. I mean, so he'd go down there, and he said, I was doing pretty good. But then the, you know what the problem was? He got, to, he got to big commandment number 10, thou shalt not covet. And he knew he was in trouble because even though he might say, I've never murdered anybody, I've never stolen anything, he could not say with honesty he never wanted to. And see, in that last one, the last one sums everything up by making it a matter of the heart. And the Bible says if you break one law, you've broken all of it. You know, it's like me taking a piece of glass up here and with a marker drawing a pie shape so that we've got like eight pieces of the pie and I write a law on each of these eight pieces of the pie. And then I take a little mallet and I said, okay, the only one that gives me trouble is this one here, thou shalt not steal. And so I'm just going to take this mallet and I'm going to break that one. You know what happens when I break that little piece of the pie? What happens to the whole piece of glass? It's all done. Okay? So this is the deal with respect to sin. We fall short. And this is Romans 3.23. All have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we sin in God's face. And that's why we need help. David reminds us here that even though life is full of all these rebellious shortcomings, here's the beautiful thing. God in his grace has got us covered if we're just smart enough to look at what he's done for us. One of the very first acts of grace you see in the Bible, back in the book of Genesis, is when Adam and Eve sinned, they, became, they were totally exposed, they were naked, and they were exposed, they were ashamed, they tried to cover themselves, and God knew fig leaves won't do. 
because I'm going to have to turn you out into the cold, cruel world. And one of the first acts of grace is you see God making coverings for Adam and Eve. You remember that? And what kind of coverings? They weren't fig leaf coverings. They were animal skin coverings. Well, what had to happen for God to provide animal skin coverings to protect his two creations? He had to slaughter an animal to do it. There had to be a shedding of blood. An animal had to die. It's the first sacrifice that you find in the Bible. And the scriptures are very clear. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. God's been offended. God demands life for life. And this is why there's so much blood flowing, sacrificial blood in the Bible. Because as it related to Adam and Eve, the only acceptable covering was the one God provided. The covering they tried to, the covering they tried to make for themselves would not do. They needed a covering only God could provide. And so do we. The only acceptable covering for us is the covering that God provides, which is the sacrificial blood of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Because that blood alone, the Bible says, has the power to cleanse us from all sin. And the question this morning is have you been covered by the blood of Jesus? Only the blood of Jesus can cover over all the brokenness, all the shortcomings, as it relates to measuring up to the perfect standard of the holiness of God. I'm just saying this morning, if you want to stand in the presence of royalty, into the presence of the holiness of King Jesus, you better make sure you're properly dressed. I mean, what a cap and gown are to a college graduate, what surgical scrubs are to an attending physician, what a flight suit is to a military pilot, what car hearts are to a rancher out in the field. The blood of Jesus Christ is to everybody who's messed up and falls short because of the brokenness of sin. The blood is the critical covering that provides us access to the very throne of God because only the blood of Jesus washes white as snow. So the question is, who got you covered this morning? I mean, if you rely if you rely on anybody or anything else to bring you everlasting peace with God and personal security in the presence of God now and forever and ever and ever in the age to come, you are trusting in the wrong things and you are wasting your life to connect with God always means first coming under the blood. Have you been washed? Have your sins been forgiven? They can be by trusting in the right thing, which is trusting in the right person, who is Jesus Christ, who died for you. This is God's word.
And all God's people said, amen.